0: come back we're here again been a couple days
1: it has been a couple days and uh what's a a, a roller coaster days i think um but you know it's there's something nice about what we do here um with civil discourse because it almost feels like this place this home base we get coming back to
0: i agree it's kind of cathartic isn't it
1: yeah, it is. It is. We spend a week listening to uh, everyone running around with their hair on fire and then we get to come together and and, and, and set our own hair on fire a little bit. Well, maybe- I,
0: I think I think I love that analogy, but I really what I think we do is we both come with an, an idea and, and hopefully our faithful listeners are, are coming for the same reason where we know we're it's going to be civil discourse in a non-safe space and, and we're going to talk about issues like two rational uh, human beings. And well,
1: so, at least we'll do our, our very best and speaking of our faithful listeners, welcome everybody
0: oh, we're thrilled uh, to have you
1: to another uh invigorating episode of civil discourse. This is not a safe space, a welcome safe
0: space. No. my
1: dear friend colleague brother in law and uh and brother from another mother, as it were. Uh, Doctor Mike, good to good to be with you. And
0: man. my my one of my best friends in the world, my good friend Charles here, brother-in-law, brother, and all those great terms. And sometimes compatriot and crime. <laughs> but we won't tell what the crime no, is, right?
1: We could tell you about it, but we'd have to kill you.
0: <laughs> so, no, uh, I think the biggest crime you and I commit is we go a little fast on the road. But
1: <laughs>
0: particularly on motor- motorcycles.
1: That that should be its own show, because think about it. They give us these cars that are getting ever and ever increasingly speedy. I mean, Tesla is about to release its... Uh, uh the its new uh iteration of the roadster it is literally the fastest road legal car ever from like zero to 80 uh because they said they underestimated their their actual release reported speed zero to 80 or so in 1.9 seconds holy moly i, I
0: mean <laughs> We <laughs> can catch you that I'll get you a ticket. The one, you know, the one thing faster than the Tesla though is radio waves. So, uh, they can probably sure. catch you.
1: Well, I'm just saying why have a car like that in existence that you can't do something with? I mean, look, well,
0: I, you know, that's a show in itself and I'm going to say we table that issue uh, <laughs> because a couple weeks ago we started a conversation we have yet to finish and we were kind of looking at the two parties. Uh, specifically, we did talk a bit about the libertarian party Maybe we'll touch on some of the other third parties. Uh, and uh, I'd like to continue that discussion. Now, we've forgotten everything we covered in that episode because we had a wonderful episode in between regarding uh, men and the state of men currently in modern society, which hopefully our, our dear listeners received well. Uh, but I, I'd like to continue talking about these these two major parties and, and and remind everyone, by the way, that our founders were not real fans of this party system that we have.
1: No, it's it's uh, really fascinating how um, and this is one of the things that sometimes gets called out as a difference between the parties, um, because often you will hear touted uh, from one party or the other, depending on the issue, the vehement need to stick to true constitutionalism. You know, what was the intention verbatim of the founding fathers? Um, And and it was founding fathers. There were very few mothers in the room, so to speak. Probably Uh, the most
0: influential woman would have been Abigail Adams, who was a a very close advisor to her husband. And and of course, uh, John was was very involved in the writing of of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution.
1: Well, and I would imagine there were quite a few women behind the sea, scenes putting a, a bug in their husband's ears. Yeah. Sort of well, we know,
0: we know about Abigail, Abigail because we had the correspondence between the two where he, yeah. he would ask her advice and she would give it to him freely. Uh, we don't know about Jefferson and his wife. His wife died at, at an incredibly young age. And, of course, Jefferson wasn't there when they wrote the Constitution. He was in, in Paris as a diplomat. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't know about Madison and Dolly, though. We know they were we they were incredibly close. So we, we've got to make some assumptions there. So there are founding mothers, but well, in my founding and
1: fathers, <laughs> my reading of uh, Martha Washington was that she was no withering violet either.
0: No, I don't think I don't think women in that era could be weak and survive. Uh, I mean, you just had to be tough all around, I would suppose. Yeah. I think everybody had to be tough all around and, and women in particular. Um uh, so, so we do respect our founding mothers. We just don't know a lot about them.
1: Sounds well, fair. It is. Um, <laughs> history is written by the ones who did the writing. I guess <laughs> it
0: is, and, and there is a book called Founding Mothers. I've read it, so that's how I knew about Abigail Adams and and uh, and Dolly and some of those other things. It's been a few years, but but I did read it about. The, it came out soon after the Founding Fathers books came out, and uh, sure. I, I found it very interesting. Uh, but anyway, not to not to go too far. But, you know, there's one major difference is what does it mean when we say we, we're adhering to the Constitution? And I, I think this is a place where the two parties divide. A- and and I would probably argue uh, they're both wrong, by the way. <laughs> so but, well, but I would love to hear your perspective on this before I give mine.
1: Well, I and and, and I, too, want to hear uh, where you're you know where you're sitting on this. I my guess is we're we're probably not too far apart. Big surprise. Um, but I would say that at any given point, both parties are full of, you know, what, mm-hmm. um,
0: bad stuff, bad stuff, <laughs> <laughs> means bad stuff. BS, bad stuff.
1: <laughs> because I think it, it entirely depends on what topic we're, we're, we're discussing at the moment.
0: And, um, and it's fun to watch, isn't it? Where, where the party last week that was violating something in the constitution this week is screaming at the other party for, for violating yeah. the constitution. And I'm always kind of amused by that, by the way.
1: <laughs> I, I will share that my personal feeling lands more in the camp of the the document is a living one.
0: Yeah, uh, you need to describe that because your it, version of that's very different.
1: It it is, and we've had this conversation before. Now, I there this idea that you know, like some people say with the Bible, it is as the word is written, so it is. Uh, verbatim, which you know that's another conversation for another podcast but um so too do many people feel that the Constitution is verbatim as it is now, my argument is the con- the the Constitution was designed structurally to be a living document but not an easily uh changed one right but I mean they literally put in structures to have the Constitution. If the majority and a significant majority at that uh, felt there was change that needed to happen as it evolved, as as our society evolved, then there was a, a space created to allow for that. And by definition, that makes it a living document in my mind, at
0: least. No, I, I agree. It does make it, you know, the, the and you're speaking specifically of the amendment process that, yeah. that is clearly outlined and, and is suggested that it be leveraged for changes. And until the, the, the early 20th century was very well adhered to, and we know that because of the, the liquor legislation that had to be constitutionally amended first before they passed it. Same thing with income taxes and, and some other things that, you know, nowadays we do things and you're like, oh, where does it empower you there? So, so
1: well, it's funny you bring up liquor because I don't know if there's been another example um, since probably the Bill of Rights, which was very quickly put in as as the first round of amendments. I mean, the the, the ink on the original document had barely dried when when those got thrown back up, um, and and obviously there was some healthy debate about those amendments, but uh, very very early in the life of the document was change already being perceived. Oh,
0: and, and there's a historical reason for that. And, and by the way, for our dear listeners who don't realize that I've done a lot of study in this area because I taught civics and, and government classes for a long time. So I, I attended multiple uh, sessions on this. Uh, essentially it wasn't going to get ratified without those amendments very quickly by the big, powerful States like Massachusetts and New York, uh, Virginia and uh, uh, I think those were the big three that said, unless you pass those, those amendments, we're not going to have it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I remind folks, uh, and I know you and I've talked about this, I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, Virginia, New York, and Rhode Island all ratified it with the expressed understanding they could leave at any time they wanted to for any reason they wanted to leave, that, that they were not bound to stay in the union, uh, which I always found interesting that was those three because they were very politically desperate, disparate Back then, just as they are now. So,
1: uh, well, and, and just quickly going back to around this this point, how you had mentioned uh, alcohol, you know, of course, we had prohibition in the 1920s, um,
0: 20s, and 30s, 20s. yeah.
1: And, um, you know, there were all kinds of reasons to justify or use to justify the uh, the the engagement of prohibition but <laughs> um very quickly they said uh you know in, in, the, in the in a historical sense very quickly it was about what a decade right um they uh they said this isn't working out and a lot of from what i understand I, i'll admit i haven't done a lot of reading on this but it was more an economic decision i mean socially it certainly had its its issues but uh with the depression going and everything else, they said, we can't afford not to be getting the revenue of taxes from this particular
0: well one. and and you know the beer and wine industry had been shut down, which was huge in the midwest uh, particularly states like Missouri that had had big uh distilleries and vineyards and, and and et cetera yeah, and so they 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 first did beer and wine uh and then then- re- while they were busy repealing uh the, the amendment that changed the, the law allowed the feds to to buy, ban liquor, and so yeah, it was economically driven because of the depression. You're absolutely right. I, I think uh, that's that's an interesting one, and, and I I think the interesting thing, the, the thing that I've always found fascinating about that though is in 1937 is when we passed a federal law regarding the use of cannabis in this country. And regardless of how you fall on that issue, how is it that the feds could ban cannabis without an amendment to the constitution? When they had just gone through the process repealing uh, the prohibition of alcohol, and and I I think it only happened for essentially one basic reason, and and that is it only really impacted uh, 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 um, uh, Black Americans and Hispanic Americans uh, were really the primary users of cannabis at that time, which is nothing like today, obviously.
1: Well, (laughs) and you touch upon a a bigger point there, which is that. Ethnic um, differences have been a motivating factor for a lot of legislation that has come down the line. We did not have, as an example, on the uh, opposite end of the spectrum, we did not have gun legislation in the way that we think of it today um, until Nixon.
0: Yeah, and, it's really it was a uh, uh, it started in the '60s, and, and I'm not and really it
1: was direct response to a very specific. A uh, social movement that was happening out in the Bay Area, uh, known as the Black Panthers,
0: the Black Panther movement, which is which is fascinating to me. The other thing is, you know, Southern states use gun laws to to keep blacks from owning guns, and, and you may not like hearing that, but but it's actually a fact of history. Uh, there, there's an organization called uh, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership who have a real dog in this hunt. By the way, think about the history of the Jewish people worldwide. And they have a pamphlet that they, they keep in print called all gun laws are racist. And whether you agree with them or not, I think you at least have to respect their motivations having, uh I think the founder was the son or the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. So, um, uh, I don't want to go too deep down the gun issue.
1: Gun laws and and legislation and and social resonance is going to be an episode uh, all on its own in in, in the near future for us. So we shouldn't uh, dig too deeply down that that rabbit hole. Quick
0: quick teaser, though, on that one is is we do disagree on that issue, though we share a lot of common uh, (laughs) viewpoints on, on certain things, like the one we just touched on. Uh, so I, I find, I find that fascinating, but, but I do think you, you mentioned the, the living document. There are folks who believe the document is open to a liberal interpretation, regardless of the amendment process. Uh, I think that a preponderance of those folks tend to fall into the democratic party. And then you have this strict interpretation wing uh, of thought. And I think a preponderance of those people fall into the Republican party where they think, you know, this is what the document says. It's word for word. Uh, we're not going to deviate from that. And, and I would argue that both those uh, both of those interpretations are probably a, sl- a bit misguided. I'll, I'll be charitable and say they're misguided. I, I well, really think the two schools of thought are the one you articulated with a living document. It's an, an amendable, you know, we can amend it, we can change it. It should be living in that we we should be constantly amending it to suit the needs of our societies. The other position that I don't hear articulated often is the one that I talk about is what did they actually mean and how do we know what they actually meant? And we do have documents to tell us what they meant when they wrote the document because we can go to the ratifying conventions in each state and and we can read the arguments that were made on each part of the constitution and why they eventually ended up ratifying uh, the document. So you don't really have to debate what does it mean a well-regulated militia? We know what it means. And they meant every able-bodied man between the ages of fifteen and, and fifty-five. Uh, it, it's not a debate. They they talked about it, ratified the document accordingly. So, and, and I bring that one up just because we just talked about guns. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: And but I, it's it's one of the one of the searing examples of of multi-interpretive uh, elements because yes, uh, what I mean, what you just answered there. Uh, at the risk of lighting a fire, is what a m- militia is, uh, right. and what what the intended makeup of a militia is. What we didn't touch on in, in your explanation there was what r- well regulated means and what that which, actually looks like.
0: Which we we will save that for the gun episode oh, because.
1: Know, but, but for the purposes of today, I just it is one of the most debated um elements of of the constitution and in this case the second amendment that you know we depending on where we stand personally on that issue we pay more or less attention to the various elements of really what is a very short amendment there's very little language there and uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of
0: Stuff about the intent of that amendment, and, and by the way, uh, again, I think both sides are wrong regarding regulated. So, uh, no shocker there, huh? So,
1: so, so tune, in, tune in in the coming weeks because we'll we'll delve into this. But that's that's a perfect example where there really is no right or wrong uh, side of the argument based on strict or loose interpretation, Right. because right. that particular wording is unfortunately to our modern sensibility at least ambiguous Um, it it is
0: the the wonderful thing we have though and and in particular regarding uh the the uh, bill of rights is they were based on the virginia uh uh declaration of rights which was uh written by a man named george mason a founding father who's who's long forgotten unfortunately who was also the wealthiest man in the americas and um I don't know who that would be in modern society. that Musk or one of those guys? Anyway. Uh, are, uh,
1: well, let's see what tomorrow brings. <laughs> yeah.
0: but, but you know, uh, so we we do have some reference that, that makes it much more clear, which I always found interesting. But I, I find it interesting that the party lines have have really uh gotten interesting in, in this regard, where uh you used to have people in both parties that held to one of those positions we just discussed, and um I've always found it interesting that we become more um, um, divided as a society on these, on these issues. And, and, you know, the other issue where this happens, and again, this will be an episode all in itself is, is, is abortion where there were pro-life Democrats and there still are on the state and local level and they're pro-choice Republicans. And again, there still are at the state and local level. Uh, but, but I think in the national level, there are really very few folks I, I can't think of a single pro life democrat that's sitting in a federal uh, position right now i know there's some pro choice republicans but not very many we're talking probably single well,
1: and this single is man. this is where um you know there's there's the the debate is even though it doesn't always get framed this way is where is the place that government should be regulating that and 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 be, even deeper than that, the difference between a national level of regulation as opposed to individual states deciding this for the individuals within it. Now, um, again, part of the inconsistency, as I perceive it, is that depending on the topic both parties are very willing to have deep and, and severe regulate regulatory um, influence coming down from either the state or the federal level, whereas on other topics, both parties are quite happy to be, quote, liberal in uh, in, in in letting the individual make their choice and. This is, you know, unfortunately, abortion is one of those that, uh, you know, <laughs> gun rights would be the the abortion law for, for the right in the sense that they don't want, the the right generally says, mm-hmm. that's my choice to decide whether I want to have a gun or not, and I don't want the government regulating my ability to make that choice. And I think there's a fine argument there to be made, but... The left, on the other hand, would make the argument abortion rights is where I don't need the government telling me whether I can or cannot make that choice. That's for me to decide. And, uh, you know, we find this rather curious back and forth, depending on the topic. And I think that's generally I don't even want to say parties. I I think to some degree it's it's, uh, you know, more liberal, conservative, left, right, whatever you want to call it. I mean, ov- obviously, the party becomes sort of the um, avatar of that thinking uh, terminology wise, but it's it really where is 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 one of those back and forth op- opportunities that uh, um, depending on the topic. Th- both parties go both ways.
0: <laughs> well, and I, I think our, our friend, that ultra right-wing conservative Bill Maher, uh, really articulated it uh, very differently in that he said it's all about when human life begins. And if you believe human life begins at the conception, then you have to be against abortion. And, and if you don't, then then you can be pro-choice. And and I, I, I'm being facetious, by the way, for folks who don't know Bill Maher. He, he is not on the right. but And he is pro-choice, by the way. But-, but uh he said, if you think life begins at conception, it is murder and you have to be against it. Period. And so I, I thought that was really a, a again no big shocker. I'm a fan of a guy who's who's rational on these issues. So. The thing
1: is that, you know, it doesn't matter what you think if it's we're talking about what the gov- government decides.
0: So uh, I think before we got so interrupted by this technology that you and I uh, roundly cursed, but we won't let our <laughs> listeners hear the curse because we like to keep our G rating. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we were discussing, you know, that, that I, I think um, what, what we were really saying, folks, and, and I'll synthesize it very quickly to this, is it's all what's convenient for your political viewpoint on the part of our, our national parties.
1: It is. And I have a problem with that. Um, as do I? <laughs> and, and my issue has always been, and I think I've said this many times in previous episodes, you know, consistency. I may not agree with where you stand on something, but if you're consistent, then at least we have a grounds for mutual respect. I mean, theres where you are. It makes sense within your reasoning. And this being a Thursday, I can expect that come Monday, That's still where we're going to be um, relative to, you know, these basic uh, precepts of social understanding. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't change your mind. Of course. That doesn't mean that your opinion or ideology can't uh, evolve with time, experience and so on. But you don't get to be uh, it, it's, it's leave me alone. I, nobody should be in my business, in my bedroom, in my coat rack, in my whatever on this topic. And I'm going to tell everyone else what they should be doing on that topic. Th- that is a problem for me.
0: I, I, and I find that interesting. Now it is a, a very lively and, uh, uh, well-fought debate within the libertarian party, which, uh, of course, says that there are essentially two rules to, to functioning societies: uh, don't don't steal other people's property and and don't um, attack them unprovoked. Um, physical physical violence don't don't exercise use of physical violence in any way, other shape or form, other than self defense. A- and so, uh, it, it, abortion is an issue that is is roundly debated, and that's why I think it does deserve its own episode uh, because I think there are logical arguments on both sides. So. Um, Yes, but, uh, I said that. And by the way, for all you righties, I am very pro-life, so <laughs> it doesn't mean my opponents are illogical.
1: So. Well, and 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 I, I want to broaden the topic here, but again, I'll, I'll reiterate from previous episodes: I I don't like the terminology of pro-life and pro-choice because my being supportive of your choice.
0: Doesn't it's mean you believe in abortion. Anti-life. Right, right. Doesn't mean you believe in abortion, even. Um, you may you know, not think it's the right thing for you and your family. Well,
1: and, and even the phrase I believe in to or, me. Or
0: would exercise is probably the better term.
1: Uh, because it's not a matter of my belief. It exists. It's not this mythical concept. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I think, and, and the reason I say that is not to be snarky. I think the language matters because the language propagates. a, uh, a, a, uh, psychological response. And I think that so much of these issues are driven by an emotional psychological underpinning that we are more and less comfortable with. And that drives our actions and responses to, to other people's actions. Of course. So I think that our, we have one of the major problems we do have in a wide range of these topics. And it's worth saying, I do have a graduate degree in communication. I am a bit of a uh, maniac. You're, nerd. You're a nerd. You're nerd. People <laughs> choose because <laughs> it
0: matters. Words matter um, when it comes to how people respond. I love it. And, and, you know, I I think we should move on. But I will point out that this has been an ever-evolving situation in these two political parties, Uh, both uh, the current occupant of the White House, President Biden, and former candidate for President uh, Al Gore were both very pro-life for many, many years and, and changed their positions as the position of the party changed. So. I, like
1: that, I And I think that's an interesting point that we could historically look at on a wide range of topics.
0: Well, and, and it happened to the other party, too, by the way. I, I just happened to know that. Not just
1: group. on this topic, either. <laughs> I mean, uh, everything from gun rights to immigration law. Which to was, yeah, law. We,
0: we discussed immigration in our last episode, and, and so we won't belabor that one again. But I think you're absolutely right. It, it is party
1: funny. to shift. in uh, yes. and, and the individuals within the party shift often more. Because the party shifted, then they themselves, made right? It.
0: And so we shouldn't confuse folks who are are in uh, um, non politicians and and have these beliefs. We're not accusing those Republicans and or Democrats of being opportunist or or shifting with the party. Uh, generally, their their beliefs stay pretty uh, much the same. We're we're talking about the politicians who shift for opportunity's sake. So it's just
1: and and but the, it's interesting because uh, and, and I'll just say one of the things we've talked about are the Pauls, uh, Ron and and um, uh, Rand. Rand, thank you. Uh, because Ron suffered within the uh, the uh, probably the right wing. I, he was a libertarian, was he? He
0: he was a libertarian. He was a Republican, elected Republican, yes. but he was a libertarian Republican. Yes, well, he was
1: right leaning in general. But he stayed true to his convictions, which I think both of us have expressed our respect for, regardless oh. of whether we agreed with them all. Um, and the party moved on without him, and finding himself partyless, he then moved into what then was the early stages of the libertarian movement, at least on a national level. right? Um, but then I think the libertarian party uh, shifted in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's
0: ever shifting. And if you want to get into, it's almost as bad as church politics. So, uh, which is why I'm not, i no well, longer a member of the Libertarian Party. So it's, uh, well, I mean, it's
1: a good segue you just made, which ties us back to the earlier conversation, you know, again, not about abortion, but these types of issues are again, so based in personal convictions, which are often very much founded in religious background that it is very difficult to have a clear understanding of where the government whether it's on a state or national level needs to come in on these issues or should come in on these issues because they are very much uh, on uh, on an ethical and moral individual level and if the religious background or lack thereof is going to be a major part of, uh, the individual stance on these issues, then you're talking about religion have been a driving force in policy. And that becomes a problem with another major issue, which is the separation of church and state.
0: Which is a 20th century invention, by the way, um, and and NPR did a wonderful one-hour show on on the evolving of the idea of the separation of church and state and uh, how it it, it really works
1: because there are a lot of people who think the separation of church and state is a constitutional precept.
0: It's not. What the Constitution says in the First Amendment is that the government will not, the national government will not recognize a religion. And and of course it's it's a context of the time in which the, that amendment was ratified and that. England had a Church of England, and and uh, uh, France had the Catholic Church, and uh, Italy and Germany really didn't exist in that point. But but Austria had its Catholic Church, and um, so anyway, and so they saw the violence that brought to those societies, where the French were, were persecuting the Huguenots, and the Catholics were per, were being persecuted in, in England, and um, you know so on and so forth. Everybody was basically picking on anybody who wasn't like them. Uh, if they were in power and, and said, we're not going to have a national church. But there were states like Massachusetts who, who had the congregational church was a state church for uh, a couple, three decades. I can't remember. You probably know better than I do. Um, and, and there were a few states that actually had a state church. And Rhode Island was, what, was very proud of the fact that they had no recognized uh, state church. Um, and so Rhode Island was one of the outliers at that point. So uh, Connecticut well, and I, and was founded, you know,
1: the big difference here, and, and just as a as a reminder, you know, so we're not cross-pollinating uh, here, the constitution that we're speaking of is the national constitution. National, right.
0: State constitutions Which, were different, right.
1: constitutions are a very different thing.
0: Well, and the, the thing that really changes in the 20th century to nerd out just a bit on this this party idea, and, and both parties adhere to this belief, it's an incorporation doctrine. And, and so there was this idea that when the 14th Amendment was ratified, uh, which is again a twentieth century idea that it incorporated the Bill of Rights into all um, I guess it wouldn't be fifty, it would have been forty eight states at the time, or whatever the 30 whatever states at the time that existed. And uh, now it was a national issue whether you had a state religion or not. And, and so basically, because there was no uh, the federal federal government was not allowed to have a state religion uh, then in the federal system, it couldn't exist at all.
1: Uh, now it's it's interesting because you you know you have said something that is a common um within a certain ideology at least a common uh uh understanding which is that um uh, the the concept of separation of church and state is a 20th century which means in the last 100 years um concept I I'm I'm not going to to uh deny that position I'm going to Uh, question it um which is to say when you say that the in the original constitution 1778 was
0: it 1781 Uh, i believe
1: no 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 uh
0: oh oh the uh the articles of confederation 1776 is when they start writing them i think they were accepted about the time frame you're talking about yes yes um
1: to make to say that the the federal government will not recognize a um a, a religion as, as it take on its own religion, I think that is, right. would be the interpretation of that. To me, that is a separation of church and state on a federal level.
0: Uh, and, and I do we, agree. On a federal it, level, there is a separation.
1: For those yeah. who want it, but it's basically freedom of religion for you. But at a federal government level, we will not have a religion of any specific uh, uh, case be an influencing uh, element.
0: Well, because words matter, we we need to tread lightly here. And when we say federal, we're talking about a two-tiered system. We're talking about the the central government that comes out of Washington D.C. and then, of course, we're talking about the state governments. And that's why you heard me use the term federal system earlier. And so, in the constitutionally, you're absolutely right. It said that at the central or the D.C. government could not recognize a religion. Uh, but the other part of the amendment, you know, this is just like the second amendment, nor rec- uh, nor restrict the free expression thereof is the term that's used. So the feds can't recognize a religion, nor can they restrict your expression or of it. Your
1: expression of it as an individual or right. even a
0: group. Right. Uh, and, and so there are folks in both parties that would say, uh, there are folks, uh, I would again say not all, but they're, uh, most of them will fall in the party on the left side of the aisle that say, uh, if a coach kneels down, a, a football coach at a public school kneels down in the middle of a field and, and prays with his students, he has violated the constitution, constitutional separation of church and state. A- and there are folks on the right saying, no, you're trying to restrict his free expression thereof. A- and so, again, this is where, you know, language matters, intent matters. And, and um, I'm not going <laughs> to... I, again, that could be a whole episode, right? So
1: well, I think it is a whole episode and, and uh it it is on our list of coming episodes. So again, folks stay tuned. But um I think the, the bigger point here uh is that this is again like gun rights, like abortion. This is another place where depending on where you as an individual as part of a larger uh tribe of of political ideology we, we tend to shift where we stand on the strict or loose interpretation of this stuff, because it, you know, depending on, on, on where we are, it, it, it helps our debate, um, and, and, and helps to support our position. And that's a difficulty, um, because, you know, they don't specify individual examples, and yet we see in God we trust has been, you know, as part of our uh, 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 national mantras, there are many, um, you know, going way back. But, for example, it wasn't till the early part of the 20th century that we added one nation under God.
0: Right. It used be one, one nation indivisible. Through. In the the Pledge
1: of Allegiance. And so there has been, in the last hundred years, elements of formal religion being put in in various strategic places. But while it was formal, it was not specific. It's one nation under God. It doesn't say who's God, what God, which God. It's one nation under God.
0: And by the way, that's a pledge that had only existed about 30 years at the time that, 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 phrase uh, was put in. There was no pledge of allegiance. Jefferson would have laughed at the idea of a, of a pledge of allegiance, uh, because, uh, the mindset then was I'm not pledging allegiance to any government. And so I, I find it interesting. The pledge was written by a socialist who did not want to see another civil war. And that's why you have to language one nation indivisible. Um, well,
1: and, the other thing that's interesting is you you, you say Jefferson would have laughed at, you know, we're not going to pledge a, an allegiance to a government. But the concept of the difference between a government and a nation uh, is absolutely. interesting because we used to shoot people on the White House lawn if you were considered a traitor to the nation, separate from the government. So, well, of course,
0: Jefferson might have identified his nation as Virginia. And, and that's a concept, again, that we probably would struggle with today. Uh, and, and, you know, that concept existed 100 years after Jefferson, still for many folk, where they were a Texan first and an American second or a well,
1: and Well, this, this is interesting because I think this is one of those areas where there is some significant difference between the general right and left. I think the right tends to be more state-centric.
0: I think uh, you're right. I think you're, you're right.
1: A Virginian, I'm a Texan, I'm a Georgian, and so forth. Whereas the left, and and it's probably also worth saying that you know they're that Mason-Dixon line makes a difference too uh, in some of this because most people who are quote proud of their state to the degree that they will identify as a member of that state uh, tend to be the more southern and 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 southwestern states up over to Texas at least. You don't and hear then like,
0: going north into the, the western the the ranching states is what I always call Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana. I think you see the same
1: again, very very t- generally right wing relative to their population, right, right, right. But most of us from Mass, well, I'll, I'll more likely say I'm a New Englander than right. I'll necessarily say I'm a Massachusetts native. Well, um, you
0: are you are a New Englander in that you you've lived in most of that part of the country. Uh, at one time or another in your life and, and, and along with New York, uh, which is not technically a new England state, but, but, parts of it are very much like new England. I've traveled it. I know so it's, it's, uh, uh, and by the way, we're not denigrating any of these regions. I love them all, uh, including new England. And, and no,
1: it's, it's an interesting regional psychology that does tend to fall on ideological lines. And
0: again, that's a thing that has flipped over time. Uh, there was a time when new Englanders were very proud and new England as a region were very proud and, and actually, uh, during the war of eighteen
1: twelve. Go ahead. Good. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: Oh no, I was going to say during the war of eighteen twelve threatened to secede from the Union because they didn't want to have any part of that war with England. And so um uh, and there's a lot more to it. I'm being very cavalier on 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 why they wanted to secede. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's again these identities shift and change over time and history and and uh Uh, What was once uh, a Republican ideal becomes a Democratic ideal and vice versa, or at that time, a Whig ideal becomes a Democratic uh, Republican ideal or a Democratic Republican ideal becomes a Whig ideal. So, oh, yes, we didn't have those parties back in the day that we have now. Well, and
1: and we we always had the terminology would not be the same and be progressive as opposed to a uh, conservative. But in the sense that we're talking about, there has always been a right and left, the way we terminal, out, you know, discuss it today. Um, and, you know, it's also worth saying, you know, it, it can be very upsetting to watch our politicians in their failed discourse uh, in vitriol. But if, if there's a point of hope that maybe can be offered, it was no less vitriolic back in the beginning. <laughs>
0: And and it was really terrible in like the 1850s where they were literally having fistfights on the floor of Congress Uh,
1: leading up to, you know, the the debates that led up to the civil war. Right. Um, But even in the, in the very beginning, in the, in the 1770, uh, you know, process that decade, you know, leading up into the revolutionary war during and after it, there was a lot of uh, a disagreement. A lot of people did not want to leave uh, England. A lot of people, you know, Wanted to see things go differently, and in the aftermath, in the development of this constitution we're talking about, uh, there was a lot of, uh, shall we say, aggressive debate.
0: <laughs> true, true, true story, and and I think I think we always think our times are unique, and that we're unique, and the truth is, we're really not that unique, and, and the times are pretty much, you know, what do they say? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Twain if i remember right. Um and, and i think there's truth to that. It doesn't necessarily repeat but it definitely rhymes and and so i i find it interesting though that these party shifts happen and the the thing that has always been interesting is is that until the late 19th century the party names are mid 19th century the party names actually changed as as the ideology changed. So you know the whigs morphed and died and, and became the Republican party. And then the democratic Republican party founded by Jefferson, uh, part of those folks left and, and joined the Republican party because the Republican party was the anti-slavery party at the time. And, uh, I think it actually broke into four little pieces. And, um, then we get the modern democratic party, which was the conservative party, uh, until, well, until early 20th century.
1: Well, yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh- LBJ, Um,
0: he's the biggest mover. But you know, you had Woodrow Wilson in in the early twentieth
1: century. He was was the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. Um, um, And you know, it's one of the debates that you know often you will hear today's Republican Party, uh, you know, going on uh, waxing uh, ideologic about Lincoln and and how you know they are the party of Lincoln. Well, no, my friends, you're not.
0: Um, and, and nor are, nor is the Democratic Party no, of the party. No, a so, lot of
1: issues are, are very different, and and you're absolutely the the, the It was the Southern Democrats uh, that that held the South um, up until uh, the signing of the um, the the civil uh, rights the civil, civil rights, rights act. Um,
0: and, and which is interesting, by the way, the Civil Rights Act uh, was largely passed by by the Republican Party, Republicans sitting in the House and and, and Senate. Uh, and, uh, some traditional Democrats like Al Gore's father voted against it. Um, Al Gore senior, uh, and and so, and, and stayed in the party. They didn't have a problem that they, they lost the vote. And so I've always found it interesting. So the idea of a a major political pivot, it wasn't a major political pivot. It it just happened over time. Uh, it, it wasn't that one, you know, yes, the beginning of it starts in 64 and 65 with the civil rights act and the voting rights act. but but uh, it, it's it, you know, LBJ was no friend of, of people of color. He, he said we wow, have the all of
1: this. All of this was done political uh, reasons. For political reasons. And by the way, Lincoln was perfectly happy. Um, I mean, his writings say he wasn't a lover of slavery, but he was perfectly happy to let it continue with the union. His,
0: his idea was to ship all our, 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 all of the slaves back to Africa as if they were from Africa, right? They'd been born in this country multiple generations and certainly had ownership in the, the ideas of the American ideal, even though the population at large was not going to give it to them. Uh, but his no. solution was we need to ship the black man back to Africa because we cannot coexist with the black man. And by we, he meant white man. No.
1: <laughs> it was very different. And, and the primary reason, uh, that he did the emancipation proclamation was that he, you know, a, first of all, they needed soldiers. And so it started off with, uh, any, uh, black man that'll fight with the union will be free.
0: Emancipated, uh, right.
1: And, uh, you know, things went from there. So it, everything is more often than not for political. Uh,
0: of course, of course. Uh, and, and for folks who want to check us out on that one, because that is a controversial idea. Uh, check out and see what happened to slavery in uh, Maryland, Kentucky, Delaware and Missouri, which, of course, stayed in the Union. Uh, those folks were enslaved until 1865. That's your big hint. So uh it, it only applied to southern states and it was a way of undermining the southern economy because until sixty three, the South was faring relatively well uh militarily. Um
1: well, so, and it's always been one of the big and, and we can do a whole another episode on the Civil War and and, and what led up to it you the, and I have
0: unique perspectives on that, interestingly enough, too.
1: <laughs> so no, that's why we, we we it's called civil discourse. So we you know, there it is. But yeah, let's
0: let's keep going down this party line. I think there are a couple more issues. Uh, I think they're pretty unified now on defense spending. And, and you know, I, as I've said on previous episodes, no matter who you elect, you get John McCain's foreign policy, uh, whether it was Barack Obama, George W. Bush, or, or uh, 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 not to a lesser extent Trump and Biden, but pr- prior to Trump and Biden, you really got John McCain's foreign policy. Now, if
1: that's the case because foreign policy tends to be a an outreach of of national defense, right, right, right.
0: But um, this extreme foreign policy, in my opinion, that we have now is really unified between the two parties. But there was a time when the Democratic Party was the party of peace, particularly in the 1960s, and and interestingly, in the 1950s, the Republican Party was the, the party of peace.
1: Why do you think it is? Because this has been an issue. One of the big dividing things is military. And if both parties, in their reality, are you know uh, in military-industrial complex, go, um, why is so much of the military or its personnel uh, very much on the right side of the aisle? Um, and and this has been also another uh, interesting thing that's been called out. And I don't know how much truth there is to it, but often it's said that the generals. The people up at the the high ranks of the military tend to be more moderate, maybe even left leaning, but the soldiers, the the folks, the enlisted men, the the people further down the ranks tend to be more right leaning.
0: That's uh, where they come in from.
1: The, in the um, uh, amongst veterans, it tends to be very heavily right leaning. So, what is the driving force behind that? If so much of both sides of the aisle seem to be the same. <laughs>
0: Well, just as a certain political parties pander to certain political groups, uh, the Republican Party has historically pandered to the veteran community uh, and, and is a big advocate of uh, veterans issues, generally right. as a rule. Uh, and by the way, the reason why the military stratified the way it is, is, of course, generals and admirals learn to play the political game. And so they walk the halls of Congress looking for money. And so they they do tend to be more left leaning, and some are extremely left leaning, by the way, um, which is always interesting to me. And, and whereas uh, recruits, meaning enlisted folks, uh, tend to come from uh, the southern U.S. Uh, or minority groups, Hispanic and, and African American minority groups, and, and contrary to popular belief, socially most uh, Black Americans tend to be more conservative. They may be Democrats, but they're more conservative, and, and so. I, I think that's why you see the hard, uh, harder. They're more right wing than left in, in the enlisted ranks, um, particularly, and I think some of the junior officers and, and of course, uh, the prior enlisted officers are, are more right leaning. I think that may be changing now, which is which is interesting to watch. But, but we're talking historically. That's been the case. But it, I think it really has been the Republicans have been pretty solid on veterans issues for well over a hundred years, and, and because oh. of that.
1: That's interesting, and of course, you are a veteran, so there's a limit to which I can debate you on this. Um, but let me share what is the perception of those of us on the, you know, the, the tree hugging left. Um, <laughs>
0: not you. You, know. you mean those <laughs> other folk?
1: <laughs> I I have often felt when I have not necessarily listened to debate, because that's always about political savvy, but actually looked at the voting. And the the places where the support is actually put out and, and and the rubber meets the road, I've often felt that it seems to me the left has been less willing to fund the fighting itself the way the right is. Uh, it tends to be the right again. I'm talking perception that uh, is happy to uh, put you know billions and trillions of dollars into uh, the military that is active out there and fighting and shooting, but that when they come home, the perception again is that it's the right who tends to vote down a lot of the legislation to provide support.
0: Uh, That may be a perception. It's, it's not true in in practice as as folks would think. And and by the way, this is, this is a, a game both parties play. Um, the left has in the last 20 years has done some things where they'll wrap uh, a veterans issue around a much less tasteful to the right bill and then call it a veterans bill. Uh, they, they wrapped a red flag law, national red flag law in a bunch of veterans benefits once and said, well, you're voting against veterans. Uh, and, and by the way, both parties play this game. So I'm not, I'm not just saying you know that only Democrats do this. And, and so uh, they can stand on a high horse and say, "Yeah, we we're for veterans' issues," or the right will do do similar things. But because the military tends to be right, you know, they're they're fine with what they wrap that bill around. Uh, I think the most recent thing, by the way, is the burn pit bill uh, that finally got through Congress. Um, and, and so, and by the way, we have a, a Democratic majority, and and so it went, and lots of Democrats voted for this bill as well. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it, I think it's just a, a matter of perception. A lot of this stuff is historical. You know, you know, the presidents that wiped out and and uh, um, sent the army after veteran protesters were Democrats in the early twentieth century, when when we had veterans who were protesting on the lawn of, of the White House when you could still walk on it, uh, and so those protests got broken up by by Democrats. And I think just like the civil rights legislation of the sixties swayed a whole group of people from one party to the other. I think that's what swayed veterans to to the right side of the uh, political aisle. Uh, And, you know, sorry, Wyatt has an opinion on this. (laughs) But but anyway, I I think that's part of the issue. The the other thing is, is I'll tell you with some personal experience and I realize it's anecdotal.
1: Hang on, hang on. Let Wyatt finish? Yeah.
0: All right. I'll back up a second. By the way, this is at minute 30 in our recording.
1: Um, right. yeah. Yep, 30. I'll, start and... with,
0: I'll share an anecdotal story of my own personal experience as a veteran who's reached out to his legislators. I have a Democratic congressman here in my part of Virginia. And, and uh, during the Trump administration, so Republicans supported this bill because it was signed into law. Uh, it was decided that my, my lifetime health care that I, I had earned with my 20 years in the military, I would now have to pay for it. And I wrote my congressman about this uh, issue and said, "Listen, this isn't right. It was lifetime health care. Now you're making me pay. It's a nominal fee. It's a couple hundred bucks uh, a year. You know, twenty or thirty bucks a month. And um, this isn't right." And what I got back was something about uh, Affordable Care Act. They didn't even read my letter. And so, you know, anecdotally, uh, guys that I know who wrote their Republican congressman got got a response back that. That addressed that specific issue, and, and guys who wrote their Democratic congressman got something very similar to what I got. Go to the Affordable Care Act and get your health care. Um, and, and you know that wasn't the issue. I had health care, so uh, you know it, it's it's one of those things where I think the Democrats. I, I would love to see a political situation where both parties work for veterans. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, and school teachers, by the way.
1: <laughs> so. Well, you know I've said this a million times, and I'll say it again. To me, um, people who put their lives on the line for, for this country and people who dedicate their lives to the positive growth of, of the future of this country, uh, m- meaning educators, to me, there, there's no greater calling in, in the sense of, uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for, um.
0: Public service, well,
1: certainly public service, um, and I'm I'm obviously distracted um, as I was uh, looking up some stats here, um, but uh, you know we the fact that those are two groups that dedicate a massive uh, aspect of their their livelihood, uh, literally their lives. Um, and probably receive some of the the lowest uh return. You know, there are a lot of 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 opportunities for veterans, but is do all veterans have access to them?
0: Well, you know, and, and I'll throw some stats out. I'm I'm well aware one out of every three homeless men are, are a veteran, are military veterans. What's that about? Um, I'm sorry.
1: What is that about?
0: <sighs> well, mental illness, let's be honest. Okay, it's a mental illness issue, which is usually caused by by uh, experiences in the, in the military.
1: <laughs> so, uh, probably are having the same issue nowadays. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, and, and uh, suicide. Uh, the the largest group of of, of of people who commit suicide by far are, are middle aged white men in their fifties and sixties, uh, as a general population. But the largest group of uh, when you start looking at smaller groups. Uh, men in their thirties who were military veterans were losing about between them and the uh, Vietnam vets were losing about uh, 20 a day, even now with all the outreach that's been done the last year committing suicide in this country. Uh, And it's again, an access to mental health uh, help. And and there is a stigma in the veteran community that if I go in for mental health issues, and we have to, to acknowledge that the veteran culture is a Very pro gun culture. Uh, A lot of our bonding is done at the at the gun range shooting, and and you've seen it yourself. I I took you out to my range, and you saw a lot of that uh, in your experience uh, because you wanted to see what the other other side looked like because you're open minded on these issues. And and so anyway, uh, you know, and and so a lot there's a lot of stigma within the veteran community. If I go get help, then they're going to take away my guns, and and I don't want to lose my guns. So um, you know, it it, it's it's an issue. And so, of course, you know, uh, murder in this country is relatively for for our size is, is relatively low, contrary to what we hear. But when you lump in suicide, you start talking numbers of like 30,000 people in this country every year who die using a, in the use of a handgun in some way. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, well, I think
1: there's. it's one of the arguments and this is a different topic we'll save for for guns. But, um, you know, it's I would not say it's easy or cowardice to kill oneself under any circumstances. No,
0: it takes courage. <laughs>
1: it, it, it's there. There may be other things influence, you know, we're having an influence, but that is a, a terrifying thing to do. And if you are in such a place where it seems a legitimate option then the, you know they're, you're you're having some legitimate difficulty and and to call one a coward because they stepped out um i i think is 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 well that's in, insensitive at best by the way we should say if that is an issue that you're dealing with, uh, there are lots of places that are out there to receive help. Well, and,
0: and if you're a, specifically a veteran and, and you're dealing with this issue and you need someone to talk to, please reach out to me. I will, I will take however long it takes to talk to you. I, I've worked with a lot of young vets. Uh, you know, this it's, it's a big part of my heart. Uh, in fact, one of the young men I worked with, uh, passed away recently of natural causes. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it, it it is a thing where vets are trying to take care of vets, and, and but they're not enough of us. You know, that's the issue. Is is about what are they? What are the stats on the percentage of American population that are veterans? It's single digit, right?
1: Yeah, it's well, and that's changed a lot. Um, often, uh, veteran uh, numbers climb during periods of economic difficulty because young people, especially, you know, not feeling they have a lot of alternatives. The the military has been something um, to turn to, you know, to have a a roof over your head, food in your belly and and a purpose to contribute to. And in many ways leading, assuming you don't die in a war or something, to career opportunities on the other end.
0: And you're Um, talking to a guy who leveraged all that stuff to get where he is today and, and freely admits it. You're absolutely right.
1: By the way, uh, in addition to talking to Mike, which I uh, can personally vouch for, not under suicidal circumstances, but a lot of other issues, uh, that's a, a great resource for those that might be, want to reach out. But there is also 988 is the uh, suicide and crisis lifeline. Just like 911, this is 988. And,
0: and that's uh, probably your first option. And I mean that sincerely, but don't think I've abandoned you. If you want to talk after you call 988, whether you're a veteran or not, by the way, Uh, you can talk to either of us and we'll be happy to sit and and talk with you. Uh, Um,
1: (laughs) But, you know, this this is a major issue. And You know, I'm sitting here as we were talking, looking up some different resources. And, of course, there are all sorts of different numbers and stats when we talk about the left or right, and which is actually being supportive of of veterans' issues um, as opposed to just uh, gaslighting. By the way, uh, uh, patriotic duty was the word I was trying to stumble over. There you go.
0: I like that. I like that. (laughs) you but know think- and by the way there are a lot of hollywood actors there are a lot of musicians who are on both the left and the right side of the aisle who do a lot for veterans you know that you have the the gary sinise's foundation the lieutenant oh, dan i don't know gary sinise's politics don't care what his politics are he does amazing stuff for veterans uh mike rowe does amazing stuff for veterans uh you know the dirty jobs guy uh, yeah. i think he's probably moderate uh probably slightly right-leaning moderate um um uh, you know, you have uh, Tom Hanks has done a lot of stuff with veterans. Uh, the band uh, metal band Five Finger Death Punch I don't know what their politics are, but they're strong on veterans issues. And if you ever want to
1: name watch like a- Five Finger Death Punch, I mean, come on. <laughs>
0: well, they, they're really strong on veterans issues. They actually did a video uh, highlighting the 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 plight of homeless veterans, and yep. it's it's don't watch it unless you want to cry. Don't watch it. So, um, by the way, this is this is a growing issue right now. We are
1: seeing it's get worse. in this country right now that are rivaling the great
0: depression. It, it's it, going it, to get worse. It's yeah. because we're, we're returning young men and young women, by the way, and homeless female veterans is a huge issue. It's just, they're not a lot of them, but it's a huge percentage. Uh, and by the way, I know we were talking about parties. This is where we're talking about unifying the parties at this point uh, and, and working towards a common good. And, I think as these issues of PTSD and uh, traumatic head injury uh, because of the explosions that, that our veterans suffered from in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and and other places, by the way, we had wars at one point. I think I told you at one point we had 11 wars going on in the world.
1: Uh, and it's worth saying that, you know, why do we have so many uh, uh, disabled veterans coming home, but would be in mentally or physically. Well, because they would have died in World War II. Exactly. This is this is exactly the point. With our technology has improved in a physical sense that people are surviving tr- uh, traumatic injury in in a physical way that they never were able to before. But mental damage, um, psychological damage, brain damage uh, is a science that we are not even scratched to the surface yet. Agreed. And, and by, by the, the way, you um, can't just put a prosthetic on to quote. No,
0: um, <laughs> ain't no bandage for this one.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, and you know, a lot of our PT is severe PTSD suffers are are. it's really post-concussive syndrome that they're dealing with. And, and uh and it's not just veterans, by the way, there are lots of folks who are dealing with post concussive syndrome and, and a lot of suicides are, are happening in that world. Uh, but, you know, a lot of our veterans were never diagnosed with post concussive syndrome. Uh, they didn't even know they had a concussion until they they had suicidal thoughts. And uh, I, I think, again, this is an issue where uh, I, I think both of us are calling for both parties to say, hey, enough's enough. We need to unite on this issue. Let's cross the aisle. And I think we're going to end up saying the same thing when we talk about social justice, by the way, uh, and, and the justice system. I, I think it's time that, that. Oh, no,
1: no, no. I'm against social justice. <laughs> yes, of course. I don't believe in social justice at all.
0: Screw them. <laughs> you know, he's being funny. No, no nasty letters for that. You write nasty letters about other things, but I, I think we really need to 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 encourage our legislatures, including my Democratic representative, and and I don't know whether you have a Republican representative or not. Let's pretend you do for the sake of this. We both need to be reading, reaching out to these people and say, cross the darn aisle and let's work on some veterans issues together and stop wrapping them up in defense spending and. uh I don't well, know. And let me
1: add to that. It's more than crossing the aisle because, yes, we need someone to cross the aisle. But equally important is that when someone comes across the aisle, we need to be willing to receive them.
0: And, and you be, know, we saw we this. You're saying. We've seen this happen where um – um Oh, the Democratic congressman for New York, a uh, black gentleman with a shaved bald head who ran for president against Biden in the primaries. And he and Rand Paul sponsored social justice legislation uh, for justice reform together and, and went out on the road. I can't remember his name. If, if you could recall, it would be huge. Um, but the point being, that kind of friendship needs to happen. <laughs> it just does.
1: <laughs> and, no, it, uh, are you talking about Charles Rangel?
0: No, not Wrangle. young guy, young guy, meaning probably 40s or 50s, same age as Rand. Um, (sighs) It'll come to me.
1: Well, you know, there are a number of black. uh,
0: (laughs) It was New York, though, I'm pretty sure.
1: It was, no, Clayton Powell, that's going too far back. (laughs) This would be
0: (laughs) one of the young guns uh, who ran against Biden uh, in the same uh, kind of age group as Tulsi Gabbard
1: yeah well, anyhow, go on with your story.
0: anyway, we we want to see that kind of stuff happening on veterans issues. and like I said, stop stop wrapping your defense spending or your your uh, anti uh, cannabis legislation republicans in in veterans issues and, and by the way, uh, you need to to legalize the use of cannabis in veterans administration hospitals, and I am not an imbiber of that particular product, nor do I even like it. But but it needs to be. They need we need to be thinking about alternative treatments for veterans that don't involve uh, psychotropic drugs. Uh, But sorry, that was my personal soapbox. (laughs) But but anyway, uh, we need to see some kind of that kind of cooperation between the parties, and I think it is happening. We're just not hearing about it in the media.
1: Um, Did you mean New Jersey, Cory Booker?
0: Cory Booker, that's who it is. It is New Jersey. Yes, Cory Booker. Thank you.
1: Thrown off the, the the trail there.
0: <laughs> it was one of those new states, <laughs> not old Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah, Cory Booker and Rand Paul went out on tour and, and talked about their proposed legislation, which unfortunately never got passed. And then we paid the price as a society during COVID. Folks, remember those those city things? Well,
1: uh, and this is the problem with our our current state of, of, of Congress, which is that you know we outwardly we uh, give great reference to those who cross the aisle and work with their fellow congressmen and all this other stuff. But then when people actually do it, they're all awesome traitors.
0: <laughs> you know? Booker was a traitor. Paul was a traitor. They were both traitors. Uh, they yeah. should all be, you know, dealt with harshly. And, and it's a ludicrous idea. If, 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 if Cory Booker is right, and, and I agree with Cory Booker on this issue, why on earth wouldn't I support him on this issue? And, and um, because he's a yeah, well that's just silly. <laughs> so, what, else, what else do you need? <laughs> you know, you and I you and I are an example I, I I I'm not saying that you and I are perfect or or that you and I are right on all things. Um but but you and I are an example of when we have uh uh we agree on issues you, you probably don't want to get in front of us and argue against us. <laughs>
1: so it, it, you know, it's funny because as I'm getting older, I'm finding that my concept of party allegiance doesn't exist anymore.
0: I, I lost mine a long time ago, and I am older than you, so I probably lost it about the same time you're losing yours. <laughs> it's not
1: because I vote Republican on a regular basis. I am more about ideology and the issues. And, um, you know, it it happens to be that the vast majority of where I land on anything tends to be primarily on the left side as far as the party that's more supportive not necessarily 100% of where i stand um but if a a, a republican came along that regardless of the fact they had an r in front of their name fully uh stood well, not even fully, but you know, to them because no Democrat fully stands where I stand either. So, you know, if if I felt they were a uh, a substantive alignment with my ideology, I I wouldn't have an issue with it. Um, that to me, the, those names are becoming less and less meaningful. It's more about the ideology, which at the moment still is more uh on the left side of the aisle, but. Uh, you know, when people say, "Hey, you, you got to be a Democrat," I don't identify myself as a Democrat first. I'm an American. I tend to be liberal in my thinking, relatively speaking. But my my concept of liberal is not always what the other side is defining as liberal, either.
0: Well, and and you know, I've been accused of being a liberal, and I've been accused of being a conservative, and and uh, I, I find those terms interesting because I am liberal on some issues, I'm conservative on on
1: others. That's the vast majority of people, I really do.
0: I think you're right. Uh, I tend to lean right sure. as we tend to lean left. Uh, and I'm probably more right on social issues than you are and probably left on a lot of national issues though. I won't say fiscally conservative and, 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 uh, uh, socially liberal. That's not really true for me, but, but I tend to be more, uh, leave folks alone on on a lot of social issues. By the way, I was going to mention a a really proud moment in my life. was many years ago where I had a friend who was uh, uh, out of the closet, gay young woman. And her partner said, where would Mike fall on uh, gay marriage? And and (laughs) she said, uh, Mike doesn't believe government should endorse marriage at all. So he he would have no opinion on this issue. He thinks marriage is a religious institution. And I was like, wow, she never even talked about this issue to me yeah. <laughs> with me and knew exactly where I stood on this issue, which I thought was really interesting. And, and I think when you were talking about being consistent, I, I think if you are indeed consistent in your belief structure and you articulate it as someone you should be able to pick a pretty random issue and say, I'll bet Charles thinks X, Y, and Z about this issue. And uh, that is a sign of consistency if that person comes within, you know, a few degrees of what you believe. Um,
1: yeah, and again, it doesn't mean you have to have a monolithic approach to everything. We can have very, you know, one can walk and chew gum at the same time, have absolutely. two thoughts in their head at the same time. Um, you want to hear and, what and I, there are I,
0: issues you and I have talked about where I said I really haven't formulated an opinion on this issue. <laughs> which is intelligent,
1: you know. Instead of me spouting off what I don't really have an idea about, you know, let me say I don't know. There's nothing wrong with I don't know. It's the beginning of wisdom, right?
0: Right. And, and you know, sometimes you and I'll do this thing and we do it a lot on this show where we throw an idea back and forth and, and we're still working on it ourselves. Um, you know, I, I think uh, if you want to hear an episode about that and you skipped your episodes, go back to our one about war. Uh, where Where Charles really just asked me a lot of questions because I think you're still thinking about those things.
1: Um, no, I know exactly where I stand. I just wanted to uh you know stick it in your face because that's you know,
0: <laughs> again he's kidding folks you're going to get so many nasty letters, and I hope you get a lot of them by the way, if folks want to talk to us about these issues and, and send you nasty letters about you you being so mean to me uh how how do they get a hold of us
1: um well, they can't reach me, but they can reach you anytime they want. <laughs> at uh, civil discourse t n s s gmail.com where uh, you can and we we want you to we plead we beg but at the very least we we ask and invite you to write in and uh, give us your thoughts on these many issues of of import to our our country our society um, again, that's civil discourse, T-N-S-S. That stands for this is not a safe space at gmail.com.
0: And, and we'd love to hear from you. And, and if you think I'm wrong, please, please write me and tell me I'm wrong. I want to hear about it. I, I, you won't hurt my feelings. I've been told I was wrong before. And, and if you want to tell Charles he's wrong, please, by all means, write him. I'll read it to him because I don't know that he knows how to read yet or not. But, but I'll read it to him. I'm playing again.
1: Hey, hey, listen, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen let him talk whatever he wants, to do, whatever he
0: wants to <laughs> but you you're more than welcome to write charles as well and, and tell him how you think uh he I, if, and if you want to agree with us same thing if if you have a, a another way of thinking about it issues i'd love to hear that i always like hearing alternative viewpoints on things so um, hey, by the
1: way do you do you want to hear uh where i stand on marriage since uh you you stated your your stance on sure that. why not yeah i mean just as a fun little bookend here. Um, i i i I am perfectly fine with th- again words matter right I am perfectly fine with the institute of marriage, such as we think of it being a religious institution um which also means to me that it that word gives you whatever status in your church right uh but it means nothing outside of the church I agree. That's what Um, civil unions are for. I believe a civil union should have all the legal standing, um, and that is where uh, the government is. So I'm perfectly fine with any peoples of age, of course, uh, receiving a civil union on behalf of the government, which entitles you to all the legal rights and responsibilities therein. And then if you're a religious person and you have a church you're part of, you can uh, go ahead and have, uh, you know, whatever you need taken care of by the minister. But the other stuff that gives you the insurance and the care and the first person to call and all that kind of stuff, it happens down at the, uh, at the town hall.
0: And once again, we find that you can be on the right and you can be on the left and you can agree on an issue. So there you are. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And by the way, I'm right. of the school of thought you can have a civil union with anyone you want. It can be your best friend. It can be your mom. It Absolutely. can be whoever. It needs to be someone who can make a choice for you when you are unable to make a choice for yourself.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, who you uh, be I, 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 to and all of these sort of things. I don't have a problem
0: with that. Yeah, not, nor do I. So anyway, this, this has been a, a great episode of civil discourse and we've talked about a lot of issues. And, and as we said, we'd love to hear from you. I would like to thank my co-host, uh, Mr. Charles Frederick Sacreese, the brilliant, the beautiful, oh, and the you. very articulate, even though he can't read.
1: Uh, so. um, well, I was going to read you my thank you notes, but I can't read them. So there it is. So Maybe I can remember them, though.
0: Sure to listen to your teacher, darn it. <laughs> uh,
1: our, uh, our great, wonderful engineer, editor, contributing, and occasional co-host, Mr. Keith Zdroy-Ovi, Uh Thank you, Keith helps us put this podcast out each week. Thank you uh, to you guys for your patience over the last weeks. Uh, we've been going through some technological shifts in the way we do this. And um, it's it's it, you know we've had some challenges, but we are uh, overcoming. And so we appreciate you sticking in there. We have a number of episodes that are about to get put up and uh, check in with us each week. And uh, we're going to start, I think, soon recording two a week is going to be our new...
0: Uh, That's the uh, new goal.
1: Yep. So stay with us in that regard. Uh, the Lazarus Trio, uh, Mr. Carl Groves, and of course you, Mr. Mike Koeniger. Uh, who, who
0: are writing a new album, by the way.
1: Hey now. Hey yeah. now. Want to say anything about that?
0: Uh, we're very early in the stages, but we have met a couple times now this year and, and have a concept, have some some musical ideas. Uh, I, I'm a terrible guitar player, but I was plucking away at the guitar and, and, uh, and of course... Carl's an amazing player, by the way, uh, um, and he, he plays like whole thoughts and songs. So, um, yeah, he, he was actually in town last week, which is why we didn't record last week, along with our, our, uh, our technical shift. It's not difficult. It's, it's a technical shift. So, um, yeah. So look for that in the next year or two. <laughs> so, uh, And keep going down your list. I think we have uh, Sacred Heart, right?
1: Um, Sacred Heart University, where we at the moment are not recording um, most of our shows, but they've been very supportive in the development of this production, and we appreciate all their work. The School of Communications and the Arts, Dr. Jim Castongue, and uh, you know, again, go on. Uh, you can find us wherever podcasts are found, and um, we uh, we ask you to not only uh, what do you what do you call it when you and you click the button that that makes subscribe, give us
0: five stars subscribe yeah. and 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 write the nastiest review you would like but please we're, give us the greatest
1: and <laughs> uh, if there's a topic you'd like to hear us uh, delve into uh, let us know what you think um, and we're grateful for your
0: support all right well thank you thank you and we will see you soon
1: take care we want you
0: we want again we want you we want we want him now we want a king